Last week we had a time of thanksgiving, um, getting to hear some of the testimonies of people who have been uh, through some trials in life and came out experiencing God and seeing God through those. And we were able to praise God for some of the things He's done in our life, seeing people through those tragedies, uh, letting us experience Him in the midst of hardships of life. And so we were kind of thanking God for what he's done, the things he's done in our lives. Today, I want to to kind of respond to a suggestion that one of our elders made is that we, we do that quite often. We think about what God's done. We recognize him. We give him credit for doing things in our lives. Um, but the, the statement was made, sometimes we should just thank God for who he is. Just for who he is, not what he's done for us, not how he blesses us, not for the good things he gives to us, but just for being God. Um, think about it this way. It would be like if I ask you to, to think about your spouse or someone that you really loved in your life. And I said, why do you love that person? And you started to think about their characters. You started to think about their qualities. You started to think about what it was that you loved about the person not, uh, hopefully it wouldn't be, well, they cook me supper or they make my bed or they give me good gifts or uh, hopefully it wouldn't be all the things they do for you that makes you love them. But, but the characteristics of the person that they're patient or that they're kind or they, or they're, they're faithful, um, they're compassionate or, or whatever that character quality is that, that you find so endearing about these people. Maybe it's their beauty. Maybe it's their, their, uh, personality. Maybe it's their humor, whatever it is just about the person that draws you to them and sometimes we need to stop and think about God and who he is and be drawn to him maybe another example of what I'm trying to accomplish we were recently uh, uh, watching Hacksaw Ridge the story of Desmond uh, Doss uh, the World War II veteran that went up on uh, single-handedly saved 70 some men off the battlefield um, a Christian um, and his famous prayer was, you know, Lord, give me one more. And he would run into the battle uh, uh, to save people. Well, in the movie, there's a scene where uh, Desmond sees Dorothy, his to-be wife, for the very first time. And I think it's pretty well acted and, and found myself watching uh, the actors as he as he just wouldn't take his eyes off her. He's just he's dumbfounded. He, he can't speak. Uh, he says really silly things when he does speak. Um, he no matter what's going on around him, he doesn't take her eyes off. He's just he's just overcome and enthralled with her. As who she is. And my question, the thought that I'm trying to address today, are we so captivated with God? Like when we see God in our mind's eye, when we think about God, when we contemplate God, are we enthralled? Are we just like can't stop thinking about him? We we are speechless. We're we're overcome with who he is, kind of like Desmond there in Dorothy's presence, just kind of dumbfounded and amazed and, and just, just overwhelmed by God. You probably don't remember, I, I doubt that you remember, uh, the first sermon I preached in 2017, back in January, uh, which we're almost back around to, by the way. Seems like a short trip, but we're back around uh, this side of the sun, I guess, um, I started off with this idea of knowing and loving God and that if we're to know God, if we're to love God, we must know God, that we should spend time thinking about him. We used um, 
I'm going to jump ahead just to show you this. We use this idea. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And this is a quote from A.W. Tozer that, that when we take time to, to just think about God, this is one of the most important things about us. One of the most important things we can do is to think about God. I, I, I gave these two summations. The, the number one thing about us is what we think about God. The number one thing, the number one thing we do is love God. And those two are connected. We can't love, love something we don't know. And the more we know about something, the greater we love it. Uh, and so thus with God. And so today in, in 96, in Psalms 96, we're just going to read this passage, concentrate on some verses, and take time to think about God. Now, let me just be kind of upfront. Thinking about God is hard work. I mean, it, it really takes some concentration. It really takes pushing ourselves beyond our limits. It really takes some effort to really think about God. Maybe that's why I struggle to think about God. Maybe that's why we don't spend a lot of time thinking about God, because it's it's a, well, it's Quite honestly, an impossible task. Uh, we can't grasp him, but it is a good endeavor. And so today I'm going to ask you to, to work hard with me and ignore the lack of my ability to describe something that's indescribable. Uh, my ability, the lack of my ability to help you or myself comprehend something that's incomprehensible. Uh, but let's take time just to think about God and thank him just for who he is. Psalm 96. Let's let us read this together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in their faithfulness. Two verses I'd like for us to consider and think about just in these uh, uh, verses for us to start off today is verse four. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is feared above all gods. How great is God? How many of you grew up saying that little that little prayer, you know, before mealtime, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Yeah, I prayed that about a billion times in my childhood. And it's committed to my memory. But yes, God is great. 
And when we stop and think about Him, just how great is He? For God is great. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts for praise. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Give to God what His name deserves. If we do not take time to think about God, who God is, if we don't take time to, to really push ourselves and see how great God is, we, there's no way we can ascribe to Him the glory due His name. That it takes this kind of effort to push ourselves beyond what our human capacities can have and handle sometimes to give to God a, a portion of what His name deserves. And so today, I want us just to think about a few things about God, push our thinking so that we will walk from here saying, man, God is great. Let us give to him the glory due his name. Number one, God is infinite. See, here's the trouble that we face. God's infinite. We're finite. (laughs) So we see the trouble that we have in comprehending him. We usually, when we talk about God, when we talk about the attributes or the characteristics of God, it's pretty common to hear the words omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. You know, the three omnis. We've, we've heard them before in church. They, they sound big. They sound important. They sound divine. And they are. And, but the only, usually, the only place we usually use these words are here in church on occasions when we talk about who God is, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And they are some things that we talked about even back at the beginning of last year. We looked at what those things mean. But the fact of the matter is those big three, the big omnis, um, are really just expressions of God being infinite. See, let me see if I can describe that. When you're infinite in power, you're omnipotent. It's just he has no limit of to his power. He's infinite in power. When you're infinite in space where you can be all places at all times, that's, that's being omnipresent. That's an infinity of space. There's no, no, nothing holding you back in space and time and, or in space. You can be anywhere or everywhere all at the same time. Omniscient. What does it mean to be omniscient? It means you're just infinite in knowledge. You know everything. There's nothing you don't know. And there's nothing that will be known that hasn't, you haven't thought about already. It's funny. I was, as I was just contemplating that idea right there, I realized, you know, we have new discoveries. I mean, how many of you remember the discovery of the, or the invention of the internet? There was a time in life. I know some of you don't know this, but there was a time when it didn't exist. Right. Well, I've seen just in my lifetime, I've seen the advent, the coming of cell phones. And I remember the first one I had, it was this bag like about this big, you know, and I had to run an antenna out the window and put a big magnetic thing up on top of my truck. Right. And you pick it up and it would look like a real phone. You'd hold it and you dial it and you drive around. Now we carry them in our pockets, you know, and and probably going to have them implanted in our heads one day. Microchips made all that possible. That was a, a an invention of, our, of the 21st century, the 20th century, this and that revolutionized things. And I was thinking about that. You know, 
When we invented those things, when some the inventor of those things came up with those things, God's sitting in heaven going, I knew that. I knew that. I knew you were going to come up with that. Because I came up with it before you came up with it. That there's no invention, car, rocket, computer that we have ever developed that wasn't first developed in the mind of God. He knew about those things before we discovered them. That there's no thought we had that he hasn't had. He's not sitting in heaven going, wow, where'd that come from? That he has infinite knowledge. Just take some time and think about that. You'll spend the better part of a day just trying to grasp it. Because God's that great. That's amazing. There's a couple of infinites that I want to focus on today. These are the big three, you know, infinite power, infinite space, infinite knowledge. There's another one. That I think is important. Infinite in time. The way we say this is we say God is eternal. God lives outside of time. There is no time. He's infinite in its, in what we consider time. And as I get older, as I just had a birthday, I am realizing how trapped by time I am. That I am not outside of it. I'm not infinite in it. It is it is around me and controls me and presses in on me. As I see my dad uh, deteriorating as he has shoulder surgeries and he struggles in life and starts to experience the, the, the kind of pressure of time on his body, I realize to be outside of that, how amazing that is. To, to try to think... I mean, just think about how much your day is dominated by time. I can barely stand here before you week in and week out and not glance at those four little glowing numbers that sit on top of the balcony probably 30 or 40, 50 times in our time together, watching them tick away, tick away, and feeling as the 1130 hour grows upon us, feeling that pressure, pressure, pressure kind of building upon us in this time because Everything we do, every moment of our lives, this this thing called time presses down upon us and controls us and motivates us and pushes on us in so many ways that many of us are planning already weeks and months and years in advance what we're going to do with our allotment of time. How many of you know where you're going on vacation come next June? Starting to think about that, I am because we have a, my mother has a timeshare that we're going to. And so we're going, we get a, a special amount of time to go to Disney and, and spend some time there. And that's, it's just a little allotment of it. You know, our lives are kind of like that. They're just timeshares. We have our little allotment of our time here on earth and we'll get to spend our time here before That time runs out. But God is not limited or bound by these things. That he's infinite. And to think about infinite time is a crushing thought on my head. God is so amazing. He's so great. I remember back in first grade. I don't know if I was weird or not. Well, I'm pretty sure I was weird. Um, But that was I was more normal back then than I am now. When I was in first grade, I remember this event in my life. I remember this day in my life where I was in my in the kitchen of my house and I just started to think um, maybe it was the first time I ever thought. Um, 
And I was starting to think about God and what, you know, about creation and, and what was life like before creation. And I remember closing my eyes and trying hard to imagine what the world, what was it like before God said, let there be light. And I started to just think about the vastness, vast darkness of nothing before God created time, before he created the universe, before he created light. I remember it because I got so worked up contemplating that that I actually began to cry and weep. I scared myself just contemplating it so much. I told you I was weird. I remember that very vividly that I was very upset thinking about what that was like. But when it comes to time and eternity and the infinite of eternity, let me challenge you to think, what was it like before time existed? Because time didn't exist till God created it. Till he said, let there be light, and time began to roll forward. See, the fact of the matter is, there is something eternal out there. If you're a creationist, if you're a Bible believer, then that eternal thing is God. If you're not, if you're probably an evolutionist, then that eternal thing is matter or the elements. And that those things existed forever and ever and ever in eternity. And they've been floating around out there, wherever out there is, until the time that or that moment before there were moments when all the right atoms and all the right elements and all the right gases happened to collide into each other. And began everything that we is today. I mean, we're here. There is something. But there was a time when there was nothing. Before this something happened. And when you start to think about that vast darkness. And you say, what was the eternal thing? What is the thing that has always existed? Is it God? Or is it just the elements themselves? See, now you're getting way back to the greatness of God. And and whatever you decide that is, that eternal thing is, that's God. Or that's your God. If it's these elements and the atoms and the matter, then that is the ultimate eternal thing that will be everlasting. It's God. But if it's a person, if it's a being, if it's this God described in the Bible, Bible, the almighty, the eternal, the infinite, powerful, the infinite in space, the infinite in knowledge and the infinite in time, the eternal God, then that's God. See, I told you, it gets hard to start thinking about these things. It's it's overwhelming to think about there was a time before there was time and God was there and he knew everything about this thing we call time. It's mind blowing. One other infinite is he's infinite in his perfections. That's the theological term or that we talk about God's attributes, his characteristics, his perfections. You know, patience, justice, righteousness, wrath, love. These are the characteristics that we often think about God. And God is infinite in all of those. 
God will never be more loving than he is. God will never be more just than he is. God will never have more wrath or, than he has. He will never have more mercy. The, the, he's perfect in all of these ways. And what I want to point out about these infinite perfections and how that applies to our lives is that God is not divided like you and I are. The, it's an amazing thought to think about being infinite in all that he is. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I have love and compassion and some of those attributes, patience in my life. Maybe patience is a good one. And I also have a little wrath and justice in my life and who I am. And because I'm a divided creature, when my wrath goes up, my patience goes down. You know, my love may trickle down. And when my compassion goes up really high, my justice slips a little bit. Even some of my wisdom. I, when, when I'm high on compassion, I don't make the best decisions. I, I tend to be compassionate and I give in to things I probably shouldn't give in to. When my wrath is high, I probably am much harsher than I should be if I was perfectly loving at those moments. And we're always fighting these balancing acts of these ups and downs as one characteristic kind of brings itself to the forefront of our life at that moment. Our other characteristics kind of take a back seat for the moment. Well, imagine God who is perfect in all those ways, that when he loves us, his wrath doesn't diminish. When he's being just, his compassion doesn't diminish, that they all stay perfectly balanced all the time. And so therefore, God can correct us and be completely loving all at the same time. Because when we see this worked out, when something bad happens in our lives, when we, we, uh, we see some kind of discipline, we experience sometimes some suffering that we would consider punishment. And the Bible does tell us that God punishes those he loves like children. That, that can happen. He can correct us. And we tend to think, well, God's mad at us. And so though he's probably not love me anymore. Or he's not merciful anymore. Or he's not gracious anymore. And that's just not true. That he punishes us, but he's completely gracious at the same time. And there might be times in our lives when we should receive some type of correction. When we think, you know, I really should pay for that. And we experience God's mercy and his grace and his compassion. Well, is he not just? No, he's still completely just. And the encouragement for you and I with a God who's perfect and all his per- infinite and in all his perfections is we can say that he can he can work in our lives with complete wisdom. And whatever we experience in our life, whether it's justice or wrath, grace or mercy or compassion, we can say this is what's best for us. Because God's perfect in all these perfections and he's perfectly balanced and he gives me exactly what I need. He's not he's not weak in one area and strong in another area. He's perfect in all those ways. We can rest assured because of this, because this is who God is perfect in all his ways. And we don't have to wonder, well, is he slipping in love? Is his love diminishing for me? No, it's still completely full. This is how great God is. At this point, you might, you're, you could easily be saying, okay, Jason, well, that, that sounds really great. You lost me at infinite. And maybe that's okay. Maybe the point of what I'm trying to say today, maybe the best point is just to allow our minds 
to be blown by who God is. How great is our God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. As we sit here and struggle and think, I cannot even begin to comprehend these things. They're mere child's play to God. That he understands them completely and lives them. And this is who God is. He is a great, great God. Let your mind be blown with who he is. One thing I want to point out about infinity too, especially the infinity of time. There's an exciting thing for you and I to look forward to. Exciting good news about this God that we love and about our future with him. Some cartoons here. Here's two guys. One guy, one angel getting his heart ready. He said, but this is eternity. You got to have a hobby. Right. Or this guy, these two guys sitting on the clouds, right? I miss stress. There's no stress in the world. And the liveliness that stress brings to our life is gone. Or this guy, eternal life. God, this is boring. And the cartoonist thinks this might be a fate worse than death. This is probably a popular sentiment with how we paint the picture of heaven. You know, us this ethereal place where we float around on clouds, kind of in this fog, playing harps for all eternity. I mean, when you start to think about forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, when you contemplate that idea and you say, I'm going to be playing a harp. Man, I'm not even getting a guitar. But a harp. For that long, not so great. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, points this, this dilemma that we face sometimes. But the good news about an infinite God is we will never understand all about him. We will never get to the end of who he is. That even in heaven, that there will be more to learn. There will be more to experience. There will be what we call life. The cartoonists are painting heaven as this kind of static, boring place. Like the idea is to get there and then just be bored for all of eternity. Well, the biblical idea of heaven is to get there and start living life for real. That it's going to be real life. It's going to be a dynamic life. It's going to be a dynamic place. There's going to be things to experience that we've never experienced before. There's going to be things to learn that we've never learned before. And these things that we're struggling with today that, that limit us when we try to think about God and try to imagine God. Well, many of those will be cast off because we will be able to see God face to face for the first time. We'll be able to be in his presence. We'll be able to understand things that we've never understood. And we'll see things we never imagined in our lives. That heaven isn't this boring place. And we're not going to spend infinite time bored out of our minds. But that we're going to be chasing and pursuing and growing in the infinite relationship with God. And the thing about an infinite relationship with God is it never ends. We get to keep growing. And that we will spend forever and ever and ever growing in this thought that our understanding will continue to grow about who he is. And we will know him better and better and better and love him more and more and more till there is no end to it. 
much better than just being bored, hanging out on a cloud. A dynamic, eternal, true, living life. One other attribute I'd like to just point out today is God is self-existent. The fancy word for that is that God has a saity. It means he exists within himself. Here's how the Bible describes that in John 5, 26. For as the father has life in himself, back to that eternal thing, back to that darkness, that blackness before there was anything. What was there before there was nothing or when there was nothing before there was time, there was God. And life was in himself. He existed in that place by himself. There among himself. And then he decided to say one day, let there be light. And he created us and gave life to this planet and to this universe and to this, the whole cosmic that it is. And he gave life to us. And the thing about this is that we often say this, we recognize this, we'll say this like God doesn't need us. We'll say that. You've heard people say that recently. By the way, there's a song that I hope we will learn, hint, hint Scott, uh, by 10th Avenue North called Control. Hear how it goes. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to take my hands off my life and the, and the way it should go. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me. To open my hands up and give you control. I give you control. Is that we've heard this statement that God doesn't need us. And, and to be quite honest, doesn't it sound a little bit mean and a little bit harsh? Say, God doesn't need us. Well, the fact is, he doesn't. He's self-existent. He, he has no need for anything. He's perfect in all his ways. He's infinite in all, his, in all the ways that we've looked at. That there's nothing more about him that he can grow in or become. And God doesn't need us. That does sound mean, but he does want us. And the good thing about this, about this self-existent thing for you and I, is he can desire a relationship with us, and he does. And there's no strings attached. There's no coercion. There's no bribery needed. That whatever God does, that God's actions are always completely selfless. That in our relationship with him, he has no need for us. And so he's not trying to bribe us. He's not trying to coerce us. He's not trying to get us to like him. That he does good things for us. That he loves us. Because he wants to. Even in our best relationships, we struggle with that. You know, that we don't expect something in return. We, we, we love other people and we really hope no matter how sacrificial our love and selfless our love is, we kind of hope they reciprocate. You know, if you've ever tried to have a, a love interest and you get the, well, I just like to be friends talk. You, you know what that's like. You're, I, I did these things and I, and I was trying to be selfless, but I was hoping you would respond a little bit differently than just friends. Or it's not you, it's me. Whatever that is. And God does that. But he doesn't expect anything from us. He's not trying to coerce us. He's not trying to bribe us. It's completely selfless. And so therefore he can be merciful and gracious and amazing. Of God's attributes as I contemplate just being completely selfless. 
It amazes me. This is one of the thoughts that, that I have the unconditional love is the way we would say that. Spend a day trying to figure out unconditional love. That no matter what I do, God will not love me more. No matter what I do, God will not love me less. That he loves me infinitely already. And my behavior doesn't make that grow, wax, or wane in any kind of way. That's amazing. Amazing love. Some of the other ones that I just thought about, one of my favorites, God's creative. As I look at creation, amazed by his creativeness. How everything fits together. Being a somewhat creative person. I admire this. And I love being in creation. And looking at how it all fits together. God is love. Just understanding that love doesn't even fit in a world where everything's in competition with itself. To, to, to lay down yourself. To do something uh, not for yourself but for the betterment of others. Fits nowhere in a world where everything is competition. Fighting for certain amount of resources and everything is fighting for those same resources. This idea of loving something and sacrificing yourself for someone else's good is just completely foreign to that world dynamic. And the fact that we have love and we feel love is evidence that there is a God who is love out there. Or God is true. That whatever He says, He will do. Whatever you read in the scriptures, you can base your life on that because those are the words of God. And they're true, completely honest. In my best of lives, not always completely honest. God is. What would you put there? As you think about God, as you take just a moment, if you were to take time and say, answer the question, what is it that you love so much about God? How great is your God? When's the last time you've really thought about those attributes in your life? Here's what I'd like to suggest. This week, my life has been impacted just in preparing for the sermon as I tried to answer this idea about praising God for who he is. Because each and every day, I found myself just thinking on some attribute. And every time I had a quiet moment, I would go back to thinking about those things. And so it has been just an amazing thought to take a lot of time and think about God and who he is. So if you have sermon notes, you'll already see there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If you don't have sermon notes, you can come up with your own piece of paper. But I would encourage you each day as you get up in the morning, answer this question. God is patient. God is kind. God is faithful. Whatever it is that you want to put there about God. And try to spend as much time that day thinking about that thing. Pushing your mind to its limits of what it is to be completely whatever you think of. Because he's perfect. He's infinite in whatever it is you ascribe to him. And be enthralled with God. Be overwhelmed by God. Be okay with your mind saying, I just can't even grasp all that. If nothing else, be humbled because you can't grasp all that God is. And maybe find yourself 
admiring him a little bit more, loving him a little bit stronger, praising him with a little bit more conviction, ascribing to his name the glory due him. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised.